0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo Show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo Show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo Podcast. Today, this is part of my Kaju Kenbo Methods series. Now, I always say this. I am not the Kaju Kenbo Podcast. There is actually a KSDI Podcast. That's out there. Check it out. I, I usually put a link for it over here or so, so you can click on there and check it out. That's ran by, uh, by Mitch Powell and Glenn Petticelli. Um, Check that out if you want. But um, this is the Social Jello with Angelo podcast, a podcast about social psychology and martial arts, mostly a lot of martial arts. Today I'm here with my guest, Sifu um founder, if I'm not mistaken, of the One Hop Kyun Do. Did I say that right? <laughs> Just think <laughs> about somebody on one foot and taking one hop.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is one hop can do. Or one hop can do. Okay.
0: Yeah. So as part of the Kajakimbo method series, you can check it out. Every single type of method. I've been interviewing people from that style to talk about how it came about and how it got brought into Kajukenbo. So I figured um, I got very lucky today and ended up with, with the man and the legend himself here. Sifuel uh, who's going to break down how that happened so Sifuel how did um let's start with let's start with <laughs> there's a lot there's yeah, a lot you, you you said you, you sent me over um your book which was uh what, what was the title of it again I remember it was legacy the yeah legacy through the eyes of a warrior there it is and it's on Amazon so please check that out mm. so there's a lot of information here so I'm going to try to uh, if I had to break it all down, it would take me 24 hours. We'd be, we'd be here all week, C4L. <laughs> fine with me. <laughs> you, no, you got no, <laughs> place,
1: no place else to go.
0: <laughs> so so I'm going to try to refine it down to the, to the topic I, I, I mentioned in the beginning. How did, how did you and – let's just start with simple. How did you end okay. up getting into Kaju Kambo? We'll just start right there. How did you end up getting into Kaju Kambo? Well, I was actually in
1: Judo first, Judo Jiu-Jitsu and um um actually what was happening was a uh a uh, young, young boy you you know you and your you know uh, well yeah, between 9 and 10 11 12 all that you know started judo uh, ju- uh judo jiu jitsu early but you know um my influence if i go back you know i started off first. um i live on an island called hawaii and i live in a place called at that time camp seven and Camp seven camp seven was uh what do you call um where all the plantation workers work you know the Japanese had uh camp six we had camp seven the Chinese had camp eight and camp nine was one that run by the Portuguese. uh things this way. there my my grandpa was a uh cane worker in the in the fields during that time they had a lot of Filipinos that came over from uh Asia you know to work on the plantation and I was just one look one they there living with my grandpa at that time, young boy and uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight years old, just watching my grandpa uh, practice uh Eskrima, Filipino fighting arts, you know, in the morning, six o'clock before they went uh on, on the on the wagon and out into the fields. But you know, so the Filipino uh, Filipino martial arts was just my my first art. And not learning anything, just watching what they're doing and mimicking what they were doing just to have fun. And then I got into uh, judo jiu when we moved from Kauai up onto the mainland, uh, not the mainland, the main island of, o- of Oahu. There I learned uh, judo jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and then from judo jiu-jitsu, I went into Tiken Jitsukai, which is an offshoot of, um, uh, uh, was that, Jokoshinkai um, yeah. Um, and that was interesting because that by that time I was already in uh, high school. Uh, in going in that path uh, path, you know, and having uh, uh judo, you know, I thought I was pretty good until I met this guy, Richard Whaley. And um I couldn't grab him and throw him down. He was just kicking and punching and everything. Uh we were just sparring and I figured, well, you know, it's time for me to to get into to this uh um Kai. Uh, and um to the sunshin eventually came my my teacher, you know He was. We were calling him just chip instructor. No such thing as, you know, as a sifu or Sigong or whatever that. And I, I was practicing with Richard Whaley in the in the backyard of my house. And he and his girlfriend came up to my mom's house on account that he was uh, wanting to have a dress uh, tailored because my mom was a dressmaker. So he came with her, you know. And his girlfriend, um, I can't forget his I forget her name. Lola was the name. Eventually ended up being his wife. Uh, they were up in the front and we were in the back. And, and Richard Whaley and I was, you know, doing some things. And he kind of heard us doing this TI and all that kind of stuff. So he came back and watched us. And and as he was watching us, you know, uh, you know we were, we, we thought it was pretty good, you know. And then he said, uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> so when he told us that wasn't gonna work, you know, uh we turn around and ask him why not? He says that's uh, the movements it's uh, too static, you know. So he came and he showed us what he was doing and uh, uh and that was on a uh a, a Thursday, a Thursday, and came uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um he came and picked me up and took me to his uh, um uh, class, and so we went into a place in Waipaho. It, it wasn't called Kaju at that time. It was just called Kempo Karate. Yep. Um, so um, I watched his class, and I saw this guy, El Delacruz. Boy, he was awesome. You know, and some of the other guys there. So I figured, well, it's time for me to, to switch from Tikan uh, Jusukai to Kempo uh, uh, Karate. And I stayed with him and uh, I trained with, with him and um, uh, different type of culture, in a sense, because these guys, when I was with them, every time after we, we finished class, we went to um, a place called Wailani, uh Siamin Stand, you know, and that was in a city called Waipaho, and uh, these guys were always afterwards drinking and smoking a lot, so, you know, I, I didn't kind of, you know, and I was in that way, you know, because uh, I was still a teenager then, but so they're just drinking and uh, smoking all the time, and every now and then they would end up in the parking lot getting into fights, <laughs> uh, which which I thought was a culture of that time. This this was a culture of that time, so um, that's the way that I I went, and um, uh, along the I stayed there, and then and what the switch from Kajukem uh the switch from Tempo Karate to. I can't recall when. I think it was in '61 or '62 when we had this guy Joe Black, uh, Joe Black. We had Emperado, uh, um, Twinkle Kawakami, and uh, Henry Mendek, uh, and uh, she's a guy I forget. There was a four, or five other guys that came um, and visit us at the club. You know, we were dressed in at that time. Uh, all in white karate uniform with red t-shirt on the inside yeah um so they came inside and they watched us and we demonstrated and everything and then twinkle uh twinkle Kawakama came up and said okay because you guys are your instructor Joe, uh uh, uh your instructor uh, cedar sunshine's first instructor was M. ferrado and so what you guys going to do now is just that we incorporated and you guys are all Kaju Kembo now, you know? And I didn't know what the hell Kaju Kembo was, you know? Um, but what we were doing in Kempo Karate was actually Kaju The movements all the same. It's just that they never called it at that particular time. So uh, we were no different from them, you know? So we put the uniform on, and all of a sudden um, my uniform, and I still use it today, you know? Uh, I dyed my uniform to black, you know? Um, and the uniform, as you see in my book in the front cover, still original one, it ended up losing the blackness and ended up being like almost like a gunmetal gun gray, you know? so. All the uh, Kaju Kembo people, you can tell, you can tell that, the, you know, especially the pe- pe- uh, camp people couldn't keep their uniform straight black. A lot of them c- come up with the gunmetal career, dark, dark, uh, dark black, with you can tell it was the white was beginning to come inside. Then. And, and you know, people recognize us when we went to tournament. Oh, I say that the Kaju Kembo people, you know, because of the uniform. Only in the later years, you know, uh, twenty, thirty years later, where you could get it from some place where the uniform was actually black, and stayed black. But I didn't want to mind, I didn't want mine black. You know, uh, I was, I was, I was okay with using the gray uniform. Uh, something I still use today, man, over sixty years old or something. You know, so um, we went to that uh, color, and then started using, you know, red T-shirt on the inside and and the, the gunmetal gray or dark black uh, or dark gray, which was actually black, uh, to uh, consider to be a Kaju Kimbo. And there from that time on, um, uh, as I progressed up, you know, I guess in the 1960s, uh, I I ended up being assistant instructor under um, um, El Delacruz and Delacruz on the City of Sunshine. Uh And El Delacruz and I, you know, we were about, we were, we're the same age, you know, He's only nine months older than me. And he um, decided that uh, now that he was an, uh, an instructor, you know, uh, after being there for about a year or two years uh, as an assistant instructor, uh, to say decide, he decided that he wanted to to, to uh, uh, go to the or- originator of Kaji Campbell, which was Emperado. And uh, so he asked S- Sita Sunshine to go to, that he wanted to go study with Emperado and of course, Conflict started happening. We had a conflict between Peter Stanchin and Emperor, uh, because um, uh, well, you know, if you get your top instructor, you know, leaving and going, you know, that's going to cause, con- call, uh, you know, cause the uh, dis- dissension. So he left, and, and then I was in charge. I became the now the assistant instructor, took over a th- uh, sixth place, and I was there for about a year, uh, about, and uh, I kind of got lonely because. I thought that I thought that Amparato was teaching uh uh with uh Cruz all kinds of stuff and I I was losing out over there so I made a decision to leave also and that didn't go good so you had the two top instructors ended up going with with uh, Amparato, and so he let us go but you know, I know he was upset but to me I was after knowledge you know which for me, ended up being not so good, you know. Uh, so here we have Della Cruz and me going with Emperorado, and we were running Emperorado's um, class at Palomar Settlement, an original place, you yeah? um, know. And that's the first time I met um, uh, Dichi Emperorado. And when I first met Dichi Emperorado, you know, she was a purple belt or a blue belt and came and visit us. You see what I mean? Um, and here we are. Here we are, You know, Della Cruz and me were the top black belts. Under Ciro Sanchi, running that class for Emparado, and after being with Emparado uh, for, oh, Jesus, about six months, I kept telling him. I says, "Um, what you learn, you know?" He says, oh, nothing much. It's the same old thing." I says, "Yeah, you know what? Um, I think I think I think I made a mistake now because Sid is really pissed off with me, but because there was nothing much to learn, it was the same thing. You see, so we we figured, uh, you know what? We're we gonna just sit down with Amperato uh, and just learn as much as we can. But most of the thing we learned from Amperato or more from up here, you know, uh, he spoke to us more. And he, And then we met, uh, you know, Ming Lam and all that. And then, you know, we, we sat in that circle now, different type of circle. You know, and I was telling Lam, Ming Lam, I said, you know, we went to the Amperato and he talked so much, you know, we want to learn. And, you know, and there's kids, you know, young young teenagers at that time, you know, you don't care too much talking. All you want to do is just go ahead and kick ass, you know, and just learn the kind of stuff, right? So this is when Mike uh, 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 Ming Lam said, you know, you can learn more from a person in five minutes talking than you can learn uh, physical from a person teaching you five hours. It never made sense to me, you know, um, at that time, because I wasn't into that, that thing, you know what I mean? But when you kind of take a look at it, everything that what Emperor was talking to us about the philosophy, uh, uh, you know, some of the techniques and everything and explained it more. And now everything began to make sense. It was like, you know, um, you had to have somebody else tell you the same thing what your instructor was telling you. Then you you know, oh, that's what he was talking about. That is what he's talking about. You know, so it took a while before <laughs> uh, Dal Cruz and I humbled ourselves, you know, um, afterwards. And the way that I did it was just that I was really kind of ashamed already because I had already moved to the mainland and had achieved coming up within a status within Kaju Kembo, uh there, and as a as a fighter in 1969, 1970, 71, around that time, I was number one in the Rocky Mountain area, uh, and then in the top ten uh, fighters in America in, in Kaju Kembo. you know. Uh, so we had like guys like Bill Wallace and Chuck Norris and. Uh, a lot of guys and I was the only one that was representing uh Kaji Kembo at the time. So my popularity within Kaji Kembo came. Now I have I was on a lot of magazines, you know And uh uh this is where it was getting complicated because my last name was kind of confusing because you know the, the original way is spelling it D-A-C-O-S-C-O-S. You know, Filipino style, Dacoscos, you know But the magazines couldn't pronounce the Costco. They pronounce it Dakoski, Damascus, and all kinds of stuff. So it was three times in a row that Black Belt and um, Official Karate Magazine called me El Costco. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to leave it as El Costco. You see what I mean? Uh, I wasn't going to change the name at all. So we're left in it at El Dakascos. And then uh, Rainbow Publications says, hey, you know, this this, this was already now, uh, it took a how long time now, 19th. 1992 so it was almost like 20 years you know i was with emperado but you know i was uh, coming up and all these kind of things and coming back i said you know it wasn't emperado that really made me it was Ciro Sanchez that made me you know and Ciro Sanchez that made us uh uh uh, uh delacruz so it was kind of uh, kind of guilty you know because a lot of people oh man emperado showed you this and everything right and I knew it wasn't Emperor that showed me the, the things. It made me realize more what it was. But the person that actually molded me was was Cito Sanchin. So when I made the um, uh, three um, uh, videotapes for Rainbow Publications, you know, uh, and uh, they did that uh, uh, Kaju Campbell series, I did Kaju Campbell One Up Yondo one, and then two, three, and four was all dedicated to what One Up Yondo was all about. You know, and I dedicated that to to see the sanction, you know. And then actually came back and had collected a lot of magazine covers that I was on as much as I can. Uh by that by that time I was I was on over maybe seventy-five covers of uh martial arts magazines. By the time that I retired, I ended up with over two hundred covers all over the world. But during that time I, I had all the cover magazines and then and then um and then I had this uh um you know videotapes that I had. Yeah. And then i gave it you know uh i came back from hawaii and i went to uh see the sunshine's place and uh you know he was surprised you know I, I so i told him hey i i uh, hope we can talk you know so we talked and um uh, he was re- he was really happy i just dedicated them the four videotapes that i had and i said you know your name's on it and i tell people where it came from and everything. And from that point on, whenever I was on magazines, I always said, although Emperor was my my teacher in the Kaju, Kaju Kemba, was afterwards, I said, my dedication is actually to see the He was the one that uh, made me El De La Cruz uh, uh, and the such, yeah? So that was it. And then I had to give him a second copy of it because during that time, um, uh, when I gave him the copy, you know, and uh, and uh, and the things, about six months later, Um, they were doing also, uh, what they call Jurassic Park on the island of Kauai. Yeah. Uh, and they had a big, uh, uh, hurricane come in and it was called hurricane, uh, uh, iniki, uh, hurricane iniki that came inside and devastated that island and his house was devastated. So all the magazines, all the videotapes was gone. So he asked me to give him another copy. So I did and everything again, again. So you know, I, I was happy to do that, and uh, uh, that point on, you know, all my learning that I had that came into uh, to kaju kempo one half kendo took a real big switch because um, I I I, um, I realized that you know how you have it is you have you know kaju kempo is your system, and then your 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 style of kaju kempo was you know either going to be kaju kempo kempo karate kaju kempo chuan fa kaju kempo uh uh Tom Pai or Kajukembo one up you know that became your that became your style, you see. But uh, uh, but what shifted us into that movement was just that when I was up in California, um and we had what you call the KAA, the Kajuk Campbell Association of America, um this is where we had uh Charles Gaylord, Tony Ramos, uh uh Helduna, El Reyes, and myself, you know. We were we were like the the five local people that came from the islands and up to the up to, up to the mainland, and it was our schools that was actually getting uh, getting into karate tournaments. And in karate tournaments, they had different type of rules, you know. And uh, and that's the reason why we formed the karate, the KAA, was that to to uh, to uh, checkmate the the karate and uh, um, you know. Taekwondo organizations over there that when we competed, we had to compete with their roles, you know. So we figured that as we come inside with an association, with an association with all of our Kaju schools, then we would have our a play because now we could have our instructors, you know, get and participate into their uh, judging and influence them that we like to use the back fist, we we like to use a drop kick to the groin. We like to use certain certain things that they weren't so used to. And um, I remember one time uh, we, I was fighting in this guy called uh, Steve Armstrong tournament. He he had it in in Seattle, but he also was uh, uh, the head referee for Ed Parker's tournament down in Los Angeles. Well, when I fought in Los uh, Salt Lake, not Salt Lake City. In Seattle, my punch had to be really rigid, and my back foot had to be down when it's, you know, when you for straight punch, right? And that's not the way I punch. When I punch, I lean forward, I twist, I turn my shoulder, and I lift my foot off to gain that, uh, to gain that, uh, to gain that at least uh, twelve to uh, eighteen inches. Bam, just inside and connect. So I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get scored on that. And it kind of pissed me off because I like that in there, and then um, and I like back face, you know, my 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 back face, right? And they had to say, well, your, your back face, it uh, don't count, you know. And even if I did my back face, my back face, it didn't come in with a back face. You know, most back face, when you come inside, you know, it's like this. You draw and you do this. I don't do that. I shoot first and I pull in and lead with my elbow. So my my jaw is protected because I'm up close on them. You see what I mean? So they said, well, it's, a, it's an improper technique. <laughs> this is when I said, you know what? Improper technique Then I was going to knock some people out. So I did. You know, so I went bam, knock them out. They said, "Man, that's that's not a that's not a good technique." I said, "Well, that guy down on the floor." You know what I mean? So, so anyway, we had a lot of things. So our rules in in the campus section began to start drifting over, and that's why you see that the um um I, I don't know if you've seen the international Kaju Campbell logo. You know, the international Kaju, Kaju Campbell logo is the one who the read, right? Okay, I designed that. Yeah. That was originally that uh, that was originally for my school and it rep- it represented i have all 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 the things on why it was developed and the logo that you see on on the front with the reason is in everything that you see that uh uh that they still have it in in Gaylord's method of, of 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 um there you go that and there okay uh yeah that was the one that's because you came by I designed the whole thing I designed the logo for the back, and I even designed the logo for the front. and that came the international uh, that became the Kaju Kemba Association of America's Patch. We used it in the front and we used it in the back. Eventually, the organization uh, split, and we went into the IKA, the International Kaju Kemba Association, only, uh, only on uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a political. Uh, it's a political thing that happened, you know. And uh, but you know, nevertheless, there was a growth that had had come, you know, because when we came up here first, yeah, up into the mainland, it was a it was called the KSDI uh, of Hawaii Incorporated, yeah. That was with the one that was here, but because it was a because it said KSDI of Hawaii, it, it never it never got it never stuck. Yeah, because we were all up on the mainland. So we, this is why we went to the Cajun Campbell um, Association of America. But then what was happening is just that we had schools that were coming up in Canada. We had in Mexico. We had uh, Europe. And you couldn't call it Cajun Association of America anymore. You had to call it something else. So it was, it, it was my, me and Aledio Reyes. Yeah? They decided that we was going to break away and and call it that way. So he was, he was, it was, it was El Reyes and myself, they would break away from the uh, the KAA and form this one here. And then actually Tony Ramos joined us, you see me. I mean? So it was the three of us. But, and then, but and then you have uh, uh, Halbuna and uh, Charles Gaylord that was predominantly the one that, that stayed, stayed with them. You know, uh, those, those guys, uh, Gaylord, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when when Emperor Otto set me up over there, he told me because we changed the name from Kaju Campbell Pai to Kaju Campbell uh, uh, Chuanfa. Um, he said that uh, I'm I was the youngest one. I was ten years or ten years younger than most of them, you know. And he says, um, "Go ahead and show them guys that Chuanfa, the new Chuanfa uh, 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 version." You know, uh, you, if you take a look at you take a look at. Elijah Reyes, you know, and uh, Hal Buna, and Charles Gaylord. There wasn't lightweights, you know? And then the style that I was teaching then was already influenced with the Northern style of Kung Fu, which means a lot of high jumping, spinning things, and things that way. And this is where we had the problem. We said, well, I cannot teach you what you, you, you're teaching. You know, I cannot learn what you're doing because I cannot sweep. I cannot jump up in the air and everything. And you can imagine Elijah Reyes trying to get up into the air and do spinning back kicks. He couldn't do that kind of stuff. You see what I mean? Uh, the only one that tried really good was Tony Ramos. And, you know, Tony Ramos, after he taught his class, used to drive down from Fairfield down to uh, where I was teaching in San Leandro, which was about an hour away. And every time he finished class, his class at about 9.30, then he would come over to my place at 10.30 at night, and he would train with me from 10.30 until maybe 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, he did that two times uh, times a week. So he was the only instructor out of the, the five, you know, that actually made a point to come inside and learn what what Emperor wanted me to teach him. Charles Gaylord, uh, you know, he, he he never did because Charles Gaylord at that uh, at that time was really big. He had the kind of name, uh, you know. in other words, for him it was like uh, personally. We we uh, personally, you know, uh, we didn't get along at the very beginning because he would he couldn't see himself learning from a lot younger guy. You know what I mean? Do that. So what he did was just that he had some of his students <laughs> came come to me, you know? And some of them came to me and some of them went to San Francisco. You know, they I taught them, you know, like uh, silam 6, 7, 8, and Trompa uh, and a lot of the other forms. Um, um, and But but he, he wouldn't acknowledge that. So he called it, you know, Kaju Kembo style, yeah? Gaylord Method. That's why you had the Gaylord Method inside. So, uh, but it, it doesn't matter. There was a, out of, out of his group, there was, there was a whole bunch, maybe three or four of them, couple top black belts. that came over and studied with me and then brought back what they could. And, and then the influence of the, the Kung Fu begin to get into their style of Chuan Fa. Chuan Fa is the only section that is not pure. Yeah, the, the the sections that that was really, really pure at that particular time, I'm going to explain about the purity anyway, was, was the Kenpo Karate section, the pie section, and the Wan-Hap-Kyondos section. Yeah. Uh, the Chuan-Fa couldn't because of how the way uh, Charles Gaylord went and had his other students learn. And that became almost like from the other schools in Kenpo Karate. Started to say, oh man, look, they're learning some Kung Fu sign. So they go learn and all this kind of stuff starts coming inside. But instead of calling that Chuan Fa section, even if now they had 50% of Kaju Kembo, you know, Kempo Karate and then the Chuan Fa movements, you know, it became so Kapakai, it became so messed like Chop all kinds of things, you know. And that was there, that from the point on now became the influence of why you have a lot of the Kaju Kembo schools not pure anymore. You know, not pure anymore because you would see them. You would see every single Kaju Campbell school that was Kempo Karate, instead of having the work that way, you begin to see them pulling inside all the influence. Now you see Aikido come inside. Now you have MMA, you got Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and everything else that's the way. So, no no Kaju Campbell schools look alike, except probably, you know, there's a salutation and and, and that. And then from that point on, that point on it just goes all over the place, you know what I mean? So, so, when I look at the way, you know, and I go for uh to different Kaju Campbell schools and I look, I, 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 I can see the spine, but but you know, different color anymore. It doesn't matter as long as they can go outside and have the attitude. What they had, I think, what what is Kaju Campbell, it's not the physical art anymore, it's here in the mind on how they think and how they perform themselves. Um, but there's a lot of things that are missing, but they have it in a sense, but not the way that it was originally set up to be, because within the pie section at the beginning of the section, or the Chonfa section, and one hop chon do section, there, there is a method of learning on how you're doing it. And, you know, the five steps that we, we use in learning is, is based on the, fa- on the hand. You see, when you put up the hand, we say that, okay, prim- we go for... Um, uh, uh, Primitive, uh, we we'll go primitive, mechanical, technical fluidity, and and uh, uh, you know just let it loose. So there's a process of learning that we, we do. Everybody wants to wants to learn this fi- first five steps of learning, but if you learn that fa- first five steps of learning as it was traditionally taught at the very beginning, especially in the assumption school, see the assumption school, then the progress of learning is much more easier, getting into the fluidity stage number five. Instead of being caught up in a mechanical, technical, uh, 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 what's that called? Go mechanical. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, yeah. No, no. We call it the first. The first stage is primitive, which is you don't know nothing. Okay. Then you have. Then you have the um, uh, the next stage, which is the mechanical, learning how things work. You know, technical is how, when, and where. And then the 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 fourth stage is just that being creative, giving you the ability to create. And then the fifth stage is being fluid. You know, most people like to be in the creative and fluid before even going to the first three stage. They don't understand that. You see, I mean, so when I say talk about creativity, or I mean, uh, mechanical, uh, what do you call primitive, primitive, mechanical, technical, it's the same thing like what you're driving car. You get into the car, you learn where the brakes are, the clutches, and everything. That's all all the same. When you get into you look in the car, you know, it's so primitive. You don't even know what the hell you're doing until you get inside it. You get an that that is the clutch, that is the the gear, and all of that. You know, that's the mechanics. You see, now, now when the you know the mechanics now, but now the technical part comes is that how you put it into gear, where it goes. That's the that's the technical, uh, 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 uh you know, technical part of it. Then afterwards, you know, you drive around for a couple of years or everything, you don't even think, think about it because everything now, eh, shit, I'm not going from first to five. I'm just going first first to fourth gear. Now you're doing your own gear that's became becoming cre- uh, creative, you see. But later on, you just, you know, you driving the car, go, one or two, three, four, five, and the guy that's sitting right next to you said, how you did that? He said, did what? He said, you know, you went from here to here. You're not thinking anymore. It's so fluid that the movement started. Well, I just did it. You know, how long have you been doing that? Oh, for four, five years. You're not even thinking. So that's what you talk about when you get into uh, to the last stage of being uh, uh creating fluidity. That is the true essence of where martial arts supposed to be. A lot of the martial arts you have today, the instructors keep you down in the primitive, mechanical and technical because you can they you're gonna be there to pay a more, more more money for the for the next couple of years. You see what I mean? And then and then it's like uh when you, when, when you get ready to leave, you know, they come up with something else. Oh, you didn't learn this yet. Yeah. So they said, how long is that going to take? You know, but you're not thinking about how long that is going to take in your mind. You're thinking, how long, how much money that's going to take? Because you think thinking that way. You say, I me? Mean, oh, shit. Okay. And he said, now, now, okay, you know, here's what the thing is in uh, your third degree black belt, but you need to learn this one over here. Uh, you have to learn this in here to get to your fourth or fifth degree black belt. And you're thinking, years. But in the back of the head, it's not the years. You see the dollar sign, go you
0: know,
1: you say, okay, I'm going to figure out that one there. Well, you know what? Maybe maybe if I go to a different school, you know, I don't have to pray that much, you know. I went to the other school and you're going to switch. Oh, this is when you start having guys jumping from rank to rank because they got the price down a little bit more and they're learning the same thing. Sometimes even for free because you're going to you're gonna fix the kitchen sink or something, you know what I mean? It's barter. I've seen all this. I mean, she's for the last 40, 50 years, when I, mean, I see all kinds of things that happen, I just kind of sit back and everything. Right now I'm I'm associated with um this, this guy, uh, Sam Ellis. He has that uh, Grand Masters Association in Salt Lake City. And I'm going to be up there in, I think in April, in April. And we have all the grandmasters over there, you know, as much as you can. And every year they have me as <laughs> they have me as a, uh, as a speaker. And you can tell because uh, you can see some guys just, you know, the squibble inside the seat, they start going down. Because say, oh, here's L again, and they say, "Okay, you guys, how many of you are phony grandmasters?" You know, and they just kind of they're just are laughing. <laughs> I tell you, I'll quit You know, some of you guys I know, because when I was a 50 degree black belt, you guys were still purple belts. You know, <laughs> you know? And, and so, I mean, you know, I I don't know. Maybe they take it. Maybe they take it too too serious. But you know, really, I don't give a damn because I was there and they weren't. You know, so. So when I can prove it out where and everything else this way, then they don't they don't say too much. I think the thing that, you know, um I got through me is is that I got the wisdom and the experience, you know. I mean, you know, a few months I'm gonna be eighty two years old. What the hell did I do for the last sixty years? You know, I never sat on my ass. You know, what I mean it was it was the kind of case where I said, um I had a lot of challenges along the way and uh, but I mean it was just part of growing up and just learning. You know, sometimes it work and everything. We talk about the wins. But, you know, not too much times we talk about our, our losses. Well, why? You know, they say, you know, you got a good plan until you get hit in the face and your plans just change. You know what I mean? Ah, dudes and everything. And this guy hit me with a sidekick. I said, where the hell did that come from? You know? So, you know, you begin to start learning on things, or you know, what works and what don't. You know, so when I, when I, go, when I go and I visit anybody, I, you know, I become the same way like how Sid was. Oh, that don't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that don't work. I say, oh, well, and I learned that from him. You know, because he was a fighter, street fighter. You see, so so this is how the way that we come up. I think what it was was just that now, aside from the physical part, was doing a lot of thinking part. You know, and you know, one thing I know that I know some of the kajukenbo people may like it or not, but the tradition part that you learn is good. The tradition is always going to be there for a reason. Yeah, you know? but that's not where kajukenbo is or was or, or was when he was first coming up. Because I know that. When I was having problems with uh, a lot of the hard stylists in Kaju Campbell, they were doing that to me because they were trying to preserve something that uh, they were so used to learning that that they figured they don't maybe have another three years to get into learning something else. And since they had their school, you know, uh, there was a there was a, a profit margin for them, and I saw that. Okay, that's fine, that's cool. You know what I mean? But you got to be able to grow because the martial arts today is, is totally not like how it was. I mean, I, I see a lot of good and a lot of a lot of bad in it. And the point was just that, you know, I think that uh, many parts of the Chuan Fa, those that follow what I teach and those that are in one-half do understand that I don't. And that's the reason why I use the logo. And I use the logo really well to under to let them know that what you see is hard is soft, what is soft is hard, and what is fast is slow, you know. So so you see the yin yang comes into a lot of play in what I do. So that means when we're practicing, you know, you know, if I ask people uh, right now, I I and, and, you know I, I do a seminar, and my seminars I get everybody and I stand, I you guys, all stand up over here. I say, okay, you guys. All right, let's see what you guys know over here. I said, okay, you guys throw me a punch. Bam, they throw a punch. And I see a lot of them, 98% of them throw a right punch, straight punch, boom. And I, and I, don't, I don't say anything. I say, okay, now stand right. And it says, okay, kick. They kick, boom, they kick. I said, wow. Okay, I see the kick coming said, Okay, I said, all right, take a defensive stand. The first thing you do is a step back. I said, okay, I'm going to tell you to throw it all the way. That's not going to work. You know, they go, why? I said, for one thing. 90% of you over here, 98% of you over here, when I said punch, you just threw a straight punch. It's karate style. Out on the street, they don't do that shit. You know, they hit you, bam, with a roundhouse punch. You're coming in an angle, and, and it hits you on the left side, not some, from a straight. And you see, I said, how the hell are you going to do number one? You know, number one right-hand punch counter is that one, right? Okay, you think it away. Oh, I got to go throw a straight punch. You're getting ready for that, and then you do that, then boom, you get hit with a roundhouse punch. It goes, gone. I said, that shit, it don't work, you know? I said, think about it. All of the people right now out on the street, you know, you tell them, hey, you know, you already know. You already know. If you get 90% over 90% of the world, you know, right-handed, you can expect, you can almost visualize that that punch is going to come from this side. So why is your head there and why are you blocking it? You know, you either go inside really tight or stay far away to make it bypass or drop low. You know, I said, I said okay. All right. I told you guys to kick. Now, most of you guys, as soon as you guys kick, you either did a right roundhouse punch or right right, uh, 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 thrust punch, and it never came from the front leg. It came from the back leg. So that means it's so much telegraph I see. I say, you're not going to touch me. I know what's going to come up. I'm going to go to your weak side, which is going to be the number nine. Number I call it number nine because I use what I uh, I use. Uh, I use a, a hashtag. And when you use a hashtag, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That is your safest place because all the techniques is going to hit you is either one or number three. That's it, but number, not number nine. You see? And even if it comes from number nine, that place is weak. Hardly anything comes out of that area. So you go that way. So when I start to explain, I say, now that's what's going to happen. Right? So when I walk around and we're doing our class, I come around and bam, I you know from the side and everything. I said, that's that's what you call ambushing. A lot of the things that's gonna happen is gonna be ambush. It's not gonna be come up around the front. It's perfect if somebody say, I wanna fight you. I said, okay, we get ready for it. But how many people are gonna come up there? They don't know what you know. You know, they're gonna come up there, hey Al bang. Now I've been hit three times, you know, with a sucker punch, and I didn't know what it was. This was when I was a teenager. And I said, you know, something's wrong with my Kaju Campbell. <laughs> you see, there's something wrong. And then I get a guy that come inside. All of a sudden, I'm preparing for him because, all right, what do you do? He come down, he come to me and go for my legs, you know, judo, you know, jiu-jitsu, right? Now, your technique is all changed now. You know what I mean? You got to be ready for the elbows, the knees and all the kind of stuff and hurt them, you know? So one guy tell me, oh, your techniques are not going to work. I said, why? Because I'm going to grapple you. I said, okay. Now this is the thing I said. He's going to grapple you. He think I'm playing. I cannot play and tap. Now I got to knock him out. You know what I mean? So when he goes through the back, I got come me. I hit him right in the back of the head. Boom, he's out. I, and he gets up. He says, what was that? I said, oh, just my hand. You know what I mean? So the point was just that the thing is just that if you're going to be a good martial artist, you automatically... Write down your fear. What's your fear? So when I when I have my application form, my students go to go to my application form. They write on a piece of paper and say, "What is your fear?" I'm afraid of the dark. You know, I'm afraid of uh, afraid of uh, uh, gang gang kind. I'm afraid of knife. I'm afraid of that and everything. I said, "Okay, we know this. We're going to show you the basics first, and then we're going to work on every single thing over here that you you're afraid of. And we're going to make and, and that's why all the students are different. All the students are different because we want to work on the fears that make them feel comfortable." You know, I'm afraid of the dark. Okay, good. We're going to train in, in uh, outside, no lights, no nothing. Oh, I'm afraid of fighting on a hill. I say, okay, if, if summer, when I have my summer camps, you know, because Hawaii I have a lot of hills, you know, we're going to side of a hill, regular clothes, and get muddy and everything. And we're fighting. And try to keep going up with you. impossible, totally impossible kicking. So you're using hands, you're grabbing vines, you're trying to punch and every kind of thing. That's it. Oh, that's real. He says, okay. He says, well, I don't go into the forest and get into a fight like that. I say, well, you might get into a fight on the stairway, you know, and the stairways is up and down. You see what I mean? So you take it as real as possible. All I was saying is fight the way you fight, uh, train the way you fight and uh, fight the way you train. You know, that's old stuff. That's uh, that's uh, going back. I don't know where, where I heard that from or it was years and years ago. So we have the same kind of philosophy. You go through all the basics. So, you know, you go through, and when you go through, when you go through what you call the, uh, the, the primitive, mechanical, and technical, that's in a stereotype classroom. Everything is nice. You got your bags and everything that way. When you get into the creative and fluidity, that's no more, no more. Just all outside in a parking lot between the cars, in the bar, and all the kind of thing. I said now you're taking it one step. And you I mean? So that is, that is uh, what we're doing. Some guys do the same thing. They take them to the first three stages, you know, they, they go to the primitive, the mechanical and technical. They already got their black belt, right? So now you say you want to get into creative, the creative and the uh, uh, the the fluidity part. Okay, that's going to cost you another ling 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 a couple of more years. You see what I mean? So because they want to get to that stage, they want this stage. How come I cannot go to this stage? I said, well, how are you going to learn how to run if you don't know you don't even know how to crawl? You see? So we take you stage by stage and go through all these kind of things. And it's, sometimes they get so technical, you know? There's a lot of pe- people t- <laughs> when you go into a punch. See, my punch, when I punch, I'm not like this. You can see that my hand, my knuckles go back all the way like this. You see what I mean? So when I hit, I make my, I, I don't, you know, I tell them there's four different ways of holding a punch. You got it this way, you got that way, you got that way, and you got you know, another way. But mine is so loose that I have this air inside there. So when I punch, this collapses. So that the knuckles is going to be here. That's just going to get, and I explained to them about that energy, and, and and naturally you can, you know, that's all the all all the all the kinetics on it, and just make them learn from why the bone is this, so your structure and everything is this. So, so so, now it begins to make sense, you know. uh Some people just say, "Oh, just punch this way," and they don't even know how to roll their hands at all. But anyway. They,
0: why are we getting into it? It's almost a class class, class. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, Like I like I told you earlier, <laughs> I, I have I have a natural conversation with people, so I like you. You covered a lot of things. Um, here's a few. There's a few questions. Well, a few questions. Sure. So I'm gonna re- let's rewind this back. Um, when you were talking about your tournament days, uh, back mm. in the Bay Area, and you were talking about how karate was different, the karate mm-hmm. tournaments were different. Were you talking about how was karate different in Hawaii to the mainland back then? And what year was this more or less?
1: Now, this was in the, uh, like some, anywhere between 1964 up into 19, 1974 for about 10 years. Um, Hawaii fighters were good, but they wasn't as good as what was happening up on the mainland. Yeah, you know? the mainland fighters were, uh, were really good because you were exchanging the Kajukambu people that were here, you know, like, uh, Jay Lord and Ramos Albuna, myself, and everything that came there. When we taught our students, we taught our students the traditional way until we got beat, yeah. And then we had to learn some things, yeah. You know? Because I I never knew what a, a a spinning back kick up in the air was, you know. What I mean until like get hit with it, you know. And then I started to do that. I never knew that you know you could sweep and do all these kind of things. So it was when when Kardjuk went up, they had to go through a learning process, you know. And um, this is why you know we talk about our wins, but we don't talk about our losses. The losses was a, was was much better than wins because this is where we learned something. Yeah, so we found out what worked and the angles and everything, and you know learning how to referee. And we didn't like the referee referee, so we formed our own association and we put in the rules, and then became uh, more more stable. And we found that you know I, I I was one of the few besides um, my cousin uh, Carlos Bunda, you know was from down south. Yeah. Um, he used to enter, enter into co- tournament competitions too, but, you know, he adapted to the Japanese way of fighting. You know, I didn't, you know what I mean? So I stayed more to to what I, uh, you know, put in my Chinese style. So the, the thing was just that people would say, oh, man, I didn't know that Kung Fu fight this way. I say, look, I do my forms in Kung Fu, but when I fight, I fight Kaju Kembo, you know? I said, what is Kaju Kembo? Then I show him what it is. You see? I said, oh, it's kind of interesting what you do. But, you know, the thing is just that, um, I was very privileged, and one of the guys that was really, really good with me was Howard Jackson. You know, I don't know if you remember that guy. You yeah? know, the California Flash. He and I was partners because both of us was in lightweight. He was really good. You know, and uh, Joe Lewis. You yeah? know, Joe Lewis. Uh, my my association with Joe Lewis was just that. Joe Lewis and I used to do seminars together. You know, I would teach him the self defense. When he, I would, I would teach the self defense and forms, and sometimes tournament fighting. But he would, he would teach basically technical fighting principles. And I, I began to learn his way of doing the technical fighting principles, which I use and adopt into my my fighting styles. You know, so when people learn, I see some people they they try to copy what we do in the technical fighting principles. I say, man, they got the idea, but they don't have it. You know, it's just what they have is just just maybe. Uh, nice a uh, nice plate you know but but the food is not on it you know I only walk around with the plate you know what i mean they say oh yeah i have this nice plate over here i said okay good you understand it now about positioning but they don't know what positioning is there's a mental position physical position spiritual positioning. in a position in position out left side right side up and down and they don't know that you know said, because all of them had what you call defensive choices how you do your defensive choice and everything and straight line versus curved line and so forth and you know, what is, you know, some people some people use it as a blitz. They call it blitz. Sometimes they like say closing the gap or or jamming and everything. They're all the same thing, but, they you know, it, it represents a uh, difference. You know, some like in the South, uh, when I was fighting there, you know, uh, the blitz was called jamming, you know, so different names. You had to get used to all the names what they were using, you see. But, you know, so when I began to start adopting the technical fighting principles, technical fighting principles, Joe Lewis put in a lot of it, but it was also put in by... Uh, um uh we had people that actually was really instrumental. Julius was Joe Lewis was one, Bruce Lee was one, you had um uh Fred Wren was the other, one. and uh Howard uh, Jackson and then me. You know, we all have ours. Then we put I, put it in so you have the another. You know, when you talk about the technical fight uh technical fighting principles, it's not it's not to change your style, it's to enhance the movements, you know. Uh it's how to short circuit and make everything faster, shorter and more explosive, you know. Uh, this is why, you know, people that have studied with me or or with uh Bill Wallace or Howard Jackson and things this way, you know, that's what well, that is what made the, the style of the nineteen sixties to now different because uh we understood the technical fighting principles, how to work it, how to work the rings, you know, and work how to work the judges told me, how to hold your hands and and things this way here. And we just drill and drill and drill on that and there. And we we went we work with a lot of blitzing, uh, techniques on how you can actually anticipate what the guy was doing just because of the way we're following your shoulder move, hips, hip movements, eye movements, and things this way. You know, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't work, then you know you change and and you begin to uh, adopt into things. And we know we knew what kind of critical distance line the person had. You know, some some people had really really short critical distance line. You know, some people, man, they could they could go they could go to hyperextension, double hyperextension, extension kicks, and you don't know which one they use because they were good. And not only would they had the, the good critical distance line, which Bill Wallace had. Bill Wallace had all exceptional speed, exceptional speed. You know, I fought Bill Wallace in nineteen sixty nine in uh, in uh, Salt Lake City. Um, Joe Lewis was there, Chuck Norris was there, uh, uh, Steve Steve Sanders was there. All the top guys. And what had happened in that particular tournament in 1969 to qualify? It was called a black belt. Uh, uh, was it the world champion? Or something to qualify in that tournament, you had to be a grand champion from another tournament. And I was grand champion of the uh, 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 Albuquerque. I was called um, the U.S national something anyway i won the championship you know bill wallace won the championship up in the midwest chuck norris had won it in los angeles joe lewis had won it somewhere in dallas and you had all these grand championships fighting inside this one here so it eventually came up where where i had beaten uh uh my people you know from other championships and uh and uh and bill wallace had so there was actually me and Bill Wallace fighting for the grand championships of all the grand championship. Yeah, and uh, I had to fight Bill Wallace uh, three rounds uh, 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 of points of accumulated, and um, he was quick. He was very quick. I mean, he could tag you. I just when I put in my hand, oh, oh my ears, bing, I started hearing music. Are you seeing me? Because he hit me so hard. I said, "Ma, I know what I know what's going to happen." So what I did was I lowered my hand, just dip my leg to let him. Take the shot again. As soon as he took the shot, I leaned forward and came right around, catch him in the kidney. That's my point. You see, but it was anticipation. I had to anticipate that Tony, but just feeding him a little bit, so he took the bait and hit him. You see, so we ended up good. And um, what had happened was at the end, after afterwards, uh, he was one point ahead of me. You know, one point ahead of me, and then the. <laughs> I hated the uh, I hated the announcer. He said, but, "All right, guys, we're down to the last few seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six. And when you hear that, you don't fight; you run away. You keep you try to keep your distance. So, so Bill was already one point ahead of me, and I was chasing all over the place. And he was smiling and moving around. But he knew at that particular time. You see that if, I I, I couldn't I I could I could have maybe uh, you know even the score. You see what I mean? Even the score. But when that guy started counting nine eight seven i lost because all you had to do is just skip the distance away until it was timeout. out it was good so uh, he ended up with the grand championship i ended up with first runner-up you know and that was good because that that guy there was a guy by the name of um hell i don't know but the, the 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 grand championship was really unique because this guy made a sword a really nice sword made of uh uh, two hundred fifty, some kind of surgical steel. Really, guys, and that must have cost maybe eight hundred to a thousand dollars. The sword, really beautiful, really handmade. And he, Joe Lewis, had one, and I had one, and we stand together with the sword cross over there. From that point on, um, Bill Wallace and I became really good friends. Yeah, uh, one because he was pissed off at me, and all the judges, matter of fact, was pissed off with me, because you see what happened was that I wasn't supposed to be at the, the tournament. You see, I, I what I had, I fought in that tournament. I was sick. I had hepatitis. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> Right. So when you make contact and body sweat, everybody had to go to the hospital and get that gamma goblin shot to to get cured. So after they found out, they said, you know, Bill Wallace said, shit, you know what happened? I ended up, they gave me this big injection of gamma goblin because you had hepatitis. I said, yeah, what the hell? I wasn't going to miss this this one. I was going to go. Pa- Parker was mad at me. Uh, Ralph Castro was mad at me. Yeah, because everybody that had any kind of contact with elder Costco, you got to go to the hospital just in case. <laughs> Uh it was fun. Where I had fun that time. But you know, we, it was a club. It was a people that it's just that when you become like one of the top uh, top uh, top fifteen or top twenty fighters in the country, the top ten always stuck, stuck together. we always always in a hotel and we do we party and everything. We exchanged ideas and everything. And that's how we got good. We was under the influence of other fighters that use certain techniques we learn and and we train and everything else that way. And I was I was the lightest person that the uh, pretty much because I was, uh, uh, just around under 140 pounds, you know, uh, that time, but, and really spunky, you know, now I'm 165. So it's totally different. You know what I mean? So, but, uh, yeah, those are the good old days. So, so you know what, I kind of, we, we kind of drifted away from the original question. Actually, yeah?
0: no, you, you covered it. You covered it. I was wondering, I was wondering what happened back then between what was happening in Hawaii and what was happening in the mainland with karate. Um, my other I, had, I i i'm not going to take too much of your time here we're almost to the wrap okay. up but i have two more questions here one sure. of them is you mentioned that there were three gaylord guys that learned you uh earlier you mentioned there was three gaylord guys that came into your school yeah. and did absorb a lot of what you were teaching do you remember who those guys mm. were or what their name? Yeah.
1: were yeah one of one of them was richard manetti
0: yeah um
1: uh richard manetti he had a school uh, uh, um um he passed away uh about a year ago but uh, Richard Manetti was one of them. Then you had Fred King, you know, from uh, from um, Portland, Oregon, and um, I forgot the other the other name. Oh yeah, the other one was Karen Shepard, you know, um, uh, Karen Shepard. Yeah, um, and she ended up uh, coming up. She was in Eugene studying with Richard Manetti, and then and then uh, when I was up in Denver, Colorado, all these people over here moved to Denver, Colorado to learn, you know. And Richard Manetti opened up a school for us, so he had one of our schools. You know, I'll open up over there and then and then uh when I moved to Germany they were all in shock. You know. So I wasn't I wasn't in Denver anymore. So they, they closed shop and, and moved away. And during the time that I moved was just at the time of in nineteen seventy three, seventy four. That is when we had the OPEC um uh, oil crisis. So a lot of the schools that I had, I had I had six schools, no, four schools. And I went from four schools to one school because um, you know, martial arts is a luxury. Yeah. Uh so you know, when 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 people cannot pay for their lessons, they don't they don't come in anymore. So I went from four schools to one school and when Germany made me an offer to go there, I said, why not? You know, I just sold my house, back up and left.
0: <laughs> yeah. So my last question, um, when and how did you come up with the name of of your style, one Kundo. How did how did that come about? How did that get? Because I know I've I've heard this story from other people, but I mean I want to hear. I've heard it from other people, and I've asked other people this before. But I, I you're the source, so mm, how yeah. did how did that come about? And um, historically, how did that end up becoming its own method on its own? Um, like, again, it was political.
1: Yeah. Um, I had moved from from California up to Denver, Colorado. And at that particular time it was still Sean Far. And I was I, when I moved to uh, to Cal uh, to uh, Denver, Colorado, it was um in a way somewhat ne- complicated necessity in a sense because I was going through a divorce at that time, you know. And I was involved with Mary Lou, yeah. Um and you know, Mary Lou is Malia, yeah. Um uh before then. So we figured, you know, we got away from all this kind of uh, uh, all these kind of uh, marital problems. And, and then when I was in uh, Albuquerque, I had won uh, a championship there in Albuquerque. And at that particular time, this guy by the name of Robert Repeal, he had a school called Kaju. Yeah, not Kaju Campbell, it's just called Kaju, you know. And they wore black uniform. And they went to this particular tournament in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, you know, you can see that the camp of people were in black uniform and mine was like gun metal gray. So I kind of just stick with them guys and you see the taekwondo people and the karate guys in all the white uniform. So we fought in this tournament over, over there, you know, and that was my there was my very, very, very first tournament. Uh, Sam already invited me to the tournament because uh, I had won the International Karate Championship uh, for form competition, uh, Chinese style. And he was there there. So he wanted me to do a demonstration in Kung Fu. You see what I mean? He was a he was a he was a Kaju, he was a Kaju guy also, Sam already, yeah. So he invited me there. So um I went inside and you know, my purpose was there to demonstrate and I demonstrated Kung Fu forms and everything else that way. But I also fought in the tournament and I was in lightweight, yeah. You know? And in that light in the lightweight division, they had a whole bunch of uh uh, lightweights from his particular school, you know, and um, was mixed up. And I know that, I know that one of the guys ended up being a real uh, student of mine afterwards. Because it was only after the tournament was over with that he told me what was going on. You know, um, they had all these guys. Most of his students were in the lightweight division, and there were maybe six of them. You know, in the lightweight division, so they went into the into that division. As well as the Taekwondo people and Karate people, so it was mixed of white uniform, black uniform, and I took I took the uh, the first place in that in that uh, division, but they all saw me before and they said, "Oh, they're going to beat me. They're going to kick my ass and everything else that way." Well, I beat every single one of them. Uh, three, 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 three out of the uh, six or eight of them that fought inside, I beat them and I, and I beat the other guys. So I ended up having to fight the uh, uh, the what's that. The, the lightweight fought the light heavyweight. I had to fight the light heavyweight and the middleweight fought the, the heavyweight or something like that. So I ended up and I won the grand championship. And after the grand championship, I won. He, he came up to me and said, oh, man, I like the way that you fight and everything. His instructor came up to me and says, listen, um, I'd like to invite you to Denver, Colorado uh, to come and take a look to see if you you you, you could come teach for us. So I I didn't know who he was, you know. So Leah and I decided, okay, we're going to we're gonna go up there. We took our car and we drove up there, and then uh, uh, we kind of liked what we saw because he said that he was going, to, he was, <laughs> he was going to be away for a couple of years and needs need somebody to come and manage and run his school. And I said, why not? That's a good opportunity, but. Going away for a couple of years didn't mean that he was going to be going away to to run because he told me he was going to go to Mexico and be in the hotel industry and things that way. Actually, what it was happening was just that he was going to go away to go away to jail. You know, so he needed he needed somebody to run his school. You see, and I knew nothing about that to so I figured, well, okay, I go over there to, to go to run his school, which I did. see that one I was finally in Denver, Colorado. This is a totally different story about it. I found out that he was going to school going to uh, uh, prison for indecent liberties with with minors you know um you see in liberty with minors he had already uh he, he already had a bad reputation, so he was trying to get somebody who had a good reputation to come inside and save his school which, which I came and I did <clears throat> and at that particular time. I was still in the Chant Fa there, but my movements was, was totally different. It was, I, was, I was finding myself looking at uh, stripping down the entire Kaju Campbell file and figure that Emperor's dream at the original was this to bring in the Chuan Fa style to develop and use techniques that would be really good so that we can upgrade uh, Kaju Campbell and make them better because Kaju Campbell was still going through learning and processing things this way, you know. In the 60s, 70s, even now, there's a lot of things that was come inside. That's why it didn't look like that. So, he came up uh, He came up to uh, uh, Denver, Colorado <clears throat> and he and Delacruz came up and I, and I did my forms. I did all the techniques. I did the with it. I did my repetition. Everything is this way, you know. And this is where we, it, it came into what they call the buzz saw. And buzz saw is a technique that, it, if you visualize the saw and how it moves, it just, it just keeps on moving, you know. And it, and my technique is when I do it, I never drew my hand back like a It was bam elbows keep following, and it was tight. It was really tight. I kept it tight enough to that. But saw so it's always in contact with the wood to cut, not upwards. You see what I mean? So I had the philosophy on it. So while my while my elbows was working, my knees was also moving, even my head butt, and shoulders were moving. And I try to use a, a lot of parts of my body as possible. So Amparado saw that on there. This is when he, this is when I told him, you know. And besides that, you know, I was learning uh at that time what Joe Lewis and, and the group I was with. Fighting, you know, Howard Jack and all these guys, how we begin to use the fighting principles. I say we have to use this. The fighting principles is understandable. You need to put it into the uh, the the uh, kaju campus style, so people can understand when you tell them, okay, you know, uh, critical distance line, use the outside, that and there. You don't have to uh, show them; they already know what it is. It's almost like a bible. You see what I mean? So he said, "Oh man, that's good and everything." I said, that, and I said, "See Joe, you know." I cannot call it Tronfa, because the, if you take a look, the Tronfa is all fucked up. Excuse my language. It was all messed up anyway, because you had Gaylord doing his method of Tronfa. You had, you had Tony Ramos doing his method of Tronfa. You had – everybody was doing it, and I said, I didn't want to be that way because I was different. He said me. So I think, okay, what am I going to do? With? And I was training with a guy by the name of Billy Lu. He was really, really good in Kung Fu, you know? And I said, hey, Billy, I'm trying to – look for a different name because what I'm doing is not what I'm doing anymore. So I showed him and everything and then he told me it's one hap do you know? And I told him what did that? It means combined, combined face art. I said, hey, it's almost like Kaju-Kembo. It was a Chinese, it was a Chinese way of saying Kaju-Kembo. But it was now because I said one hap yun do it's actually, it's, it's actually like Kaju-Kembo combined mixed art. But this one was now when you knew it, it referred to Elder Kaskus and the Chinese version of what he was doing. My expression Now, that was my expression. The word's really important. So my expression of teaching one-half-kyundo, so when people learn my expression of of, of, uh, one-half-kyundo, it became my method of teaching them. So you understand? It became like uh, your system style method expression. That expression is you. But when I teach it, now it becomes your method, my method of teaching you, but it is your expression, so it's kind of confusing when people understand it. and they they say they say hey, you know what martial arts is supposed to be? you're an artist, and what is an artist? An artist is an expressionist, he expresses things you see so it's like like what am I mad at you, you know my tonality is different like I say if I say I hate you, it doesn't really mean any only three things, but if I say I hate you it means I hate you if is i if I say I hate you that's another thing if i say i hate you that becomes very personal you see so you take taking the words out of that tone, you become an expression so when i hit on that question i might go and i'm bam, and I follow that tone. that is my main cue that's the middle one you see what i mean so i'm expressing my ways like like i always say that when people ask, ask me what is one hop or one hop you know i say it's jazz it's jazz it's a jazz it, that's exactly what it is. I don't know what you're doing. You're coming inside, you're playing with me. I'm feeling in the spots and, and making the rhythm, but we're still into rhythm. If I hear you go and put a little bit more, I put a little bit more. And I said, There's expressing Oh, it makes sense. Because, you know, when you fight, you know, fight, fight, even if it's physical, it's not there. It's more in the spirit and the mind. You see I me? Mean? And even when you go into the spirit and mind, then you begin to express yourself. Say, like, I love you. I love you. You know, or how you put it in is all that way. And so I tell people when I'm doing my seminar, you see, I, um, hold on a second. My, my eye watch just said, did you fall? <laughs> so uh, I now I got to say, no, I didn't fall. I just went to hard movements. So uh, I'm okay. All right. See. So, okay. So, so when I say that, you know, uh, when I am uh, go to a seminar, they go all through the same movements over there that I was them. Okay. Okay. Be yourself. I want you to express yourself. Do this. Oh, all of a sudden their movements is like different. I said, remember that you a pussy cat big but butt become a tiger. The minute that punch fly, you become a tiger. What does the tiger do? Okay, you know that the tiger has the, it is it, much the tiger is much more stronger than the, the lion or, or the leopard. It's one of those animals over there that is bigger and stronger, and everything comes out, you have to turn from a pussycat to a lion a tiger and that's what you go go inside and the best way to practice that is that you go in the mirror if you smile yeah make the kind of expert damn it i gotta take this watch off it's always saying that i'm falling i did not fall okay okay all right so anyway (laughs) uh, i don't know i get excited when i do this kind of stuff but um there you go you see the thing is i'm expressing myself and then i do that and i expect my students when they go i say remember every signature is different and you have your own signature. You're not gonna look like your instructor, you're gonna look like you, you see? And how do you look like? And if it looks sloppy, but it ducks the person out, then you got the writing of a doctor who's sloppy, but you know what he's doing, you see? So it's all all the kind of way.
0: Well, Sufal, thank you so much for sharing just everything from the history to how, how you put that together. Like I said, I can literally spend a week it would take me more than a week. It probably take me take me months to try to get everything. <laughs> but uh, but I do appreciate you taking um, the the last hour or so to, to kind of break that down. Mm. Before mm. I go, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of Kajukimbo guys, girls, boys, and girls, men and men, women, ladies, and gentlemen, they all they love listening. They, I don't know if, I not want to make a generalized thing. A lot of them listen to my show. Is there a message mm. you'd like to put out there to the Kajukimbo community before we wrap up?
1: Yeah. You know, martial arts to me is like medical insurance, something that you need to have but hope you never have to use. Yeah. You know? And that's how you have to look at it, you know, because um, uh, you hope you never have to use them. But, you know, the point, the minute you use them, uh, then you got to be able to, that's a choice. They have legal implications. You got legal, moral, and ethical implications so that come along with it. So you best thing to do when you learn martial arts, you better learn what the, the law is in your area. <laughs> I have fun with this. That's entirely class. That's another class and subject that when I go into, I start teaching. I just start teaching this in here because we get into active shooting. We get into all kinds of things, you know, try to make it as real as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zipal, thanks again. And to my listeners, mm-hmm. Thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo podcast. I try to release at least one of these a month. And um, uh-huh. I, I usually don't say this. Merry Christmas. This is a Christmas episode. Yeah. So so I want to. Give me just half a second. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Half a, half a second,
1: okay. Okay. Great, guys. Uh, before you go, I just want you guys to let you know if you're going to be doing this for Christmas. Hey, go on to Amazon and pick up my book. All right. <laughs> I got a lot of things I can talk to you about, but but you know, you read this one here. Um, and then you guys can always come back and ask Angelo or myself, you know, all kinds of questions. I'm, my my thing has always been the same thing. Um, and the reason why I formed the International Kajukenbo Association is just that there's a lot of things that are going out there that uh need to be corrected. And my my thing has always been what was the original concept of what? the first founders wanted and now you know i want to make sure that i can fulfill the wish into making kaju Campbell where it rightfully belong being a very superior art and it cannot be superior if you have too much infighting too much infighting you got to be able to listen up and you know there's not too many uh too many uh, guys around i mean I'm, I'm going to be 82 you know and you figure this way, all the all the first founders are all gone but you know, guys like Delacruz or Henry Mandak and myself, we were there. We saw it. We knew what they wanted. We are we are like um uh, you know within the first generation. Now you have a lot of people talk about Roger Campbell, the history and all the kind of things. They get it from other people, from other people, other other people. And it's like some of the things I hear that people talking about, hey, you know, that's five generations down. It's not It's not what happened. It's not what happened. It's different. You know, so if, if you know, they can talk to Delacruz or myself or or some people that know it, like uh, Mitch Powell, he knows a lot of things also, you see. Um, but, uh, and also like Glenn, they know a lot of things, you know. But they weren't there. They were not there, you see what I mean. So this is why we say, okay, we know. We hear them talking. Okay, that part is okay. You know, you got 90 Percent right but 10 percent is wrong and then when it comes out a lot of people take the 10 percent and forget the 90 percent, and then it gets really messed up you know so this is all that's all i can say i don't know at all but i can i know i know what i saw i know what i felt and
0: i was there yeah and that's why again i really appreciate you coming out and sharing that because i think that's that's one great way to clear a lot of things up. <laughs> mm, okay. I'm, not, I'm not getting a story from a story from a story from someone who said that they knew yeah. someone. I always I always was joke around with Mitch Powell that I've heard when uh, when people talked about uh, about Joe Imperato and his history and um, and some of the things that happened. I heard like five different stories about yeah. about what happened, and I was so unclear for the longest. And I sat down on another country and go, hey, you know, you hear about you heard about um because I always tell you, check cover, right? I always told my students, check cover before you get started, check cover. Why do we check cover to look behind us? No, no, what's the history behind check cover? Well, oh, the history behind check cover, hmm. And like one of my one of my upper black posts come in, the history is because what happened in with we always check cover because we want to make sure that that we check our six, right? Because of what happened. Oh. But then the story was like, Well, what happened? Like outside of class, talking to another Project Campbell guy, he's like, he was at a party. I heard he was at a party. He was at a, he was in a parking lot. He was in a bar. There was like three or four different stories, right? So it wasn't until I started actually talking to people that were closer to the event to actually figure out what it is. So so someone like you coming out, sharing what you saw helps really clear up a lot of stuff that people talk about. And that's why, mm. again, a huge, um, I totally have a Spanish background, a big gracias and a big mahalo. for you doing that you're welcome all right right. thank you all right y'all again have a merry Christmas and one of these a month subscribe and share